everybody, and welcome to another edition of Entrepreneur Rx, where we help healthcare professionals own their future. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Entrepreneur Rx. This week, I'm really excited to talk to Dr. Teresa Malcolm, or Terry, as she's called. She's a board member at the Association, or American Association for Physician Leadership, and founder and CEO at Master Physician Leaders. Uh, committed to partnering with physicians throughout a journey of self-discovery. Terry, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, John. It's really a pleasure to be here. I'm excited. I've never talked to a physician coach before, and you can probably tell that already, but I've never talked to a physician coach before. You won't be the first. You will not be the first person. So it's it's okay. I'm happy to share whatever I can to enlighten you about coaching. All right, perfect. But before you do that, let's Let's talk a little bit about your career. Like, you know, how did this all start? I know you went into OB-GYN, but kind of back it up to when you were a kid and you you decided to be a physician and and to take us through a little bit of a bio. Sure. And, you know, you were kind of spot on. It started for me in my childhood. So it did start as early as the age of six that I knew I wanted to become a physician. Yeah, yeah. you, You feel this, feel kind of the same way about that. And I had always really had a passion for reading and for really exploring deeper. And my aunt, who was a licensed nurse at the time, would see me often when we would go visit my extended family in Georgia. And she said that I reminded her of the physicians that she worked with at the hospital because she always saw them reading and always heard them asking questions and just really exploring more. And so I think that's what really planted the seed in my mind that, okay, I could be a doctor and what is this doctor thing? And then as I grew older and were just exposed to more subjects within my education, science was something I absolutely connected with. It just made sense to me how things were coming together. And so it was really that passion of wanting to explore things on a deeper level, particularly within the sciences. And then of course, just wanting to really help people. I always saw that whatever I did when I ultimately grew up, that it would be in service to others. And I think that becoming a doctor just absolutely made, it made perfect sense to me. And so that's, I just remember as a little girl saying, I'm going to be a doctor and was like absolutely steadfast on that. That's excellent. So yeah, I was six as well. And I remember my only physician, you know, doesn't matter. I barely passed school, but I'm going to be a physician. You know, the facts that matter. Okay. So where did you go to undergrad? And then you went to Tulane Medical School. So I went to undergrad at UC San Diego. So that's in La Jolla, California, not a school that's known for its college athletics, but I'm still going to give a little shout out to the Tritons and definitely knew going into that, like I wanted to be pre-med. So I picked the college that was known for really producing physicians and went that whole pre-med track. So I went through Ravel College and then landed at Tulane for medical school, which was, you know, just like an absolute dream come true. That was my top choice. I hadn't gotten into medical school the first time around. So there was a little bit of like, okay, is this really going to happen? You've been on this path. You've had this dream for so long. Is this really going to pan out like you wanted to? So when Tulane actually called and said, you're in, it was like, okay, now it's all coming together. And so it was just, it was just a great experience going to Tulane, which was a whole new part of the country that I hadn't seen before. I mean, I'd been, I'd visited the South before, but if you've ever been to New Orleans, I think it's its own unique city. And so it was just so great to be able to, to go there in my early twenties with really no responsibilities other than my dog and just really immerse myself into the culture and into the environment and 
study medicine. That's awesome. Okay, so when in medical school did you pick OB-GYN? I picked OB-GYN in my fourth year. And honestly, I there was a lot of, I guess I would, I'm not going to say there's necessarily pushback, but I know that there, I just remember that mentors that I looked up to within the field did ask me to really question, is this what you want to do? Because of the rigor of the subspecialty, because I think of where I was in overall in my age, my husband and I were not married at the time, but we, you know, I met him in New Orleans. He was also in a graduate program. We fell in love there. We got engaged. And so we hadn't gotten married and started a family. And so it was just kind of thinking about what are your long-term goals professionally? And what are your long-term goals personally? And how do you see all of this being, being able to integrate this? You know, at that time we weren't talking about work-life balance or work-life integration, but it was more a focus of if you're going to have a family, a woman is typically the caretaker and is typically the primary parent in that raising of the family. How do you see yourself being able to kind of manage that along with the demands of being an obstetrician and gynecologist where babies come when they come, you can't always schedule that. So I, so I just knew that I loved the complexity of the subspecialty. I loved the diversity of the subspecialty and I loved women's health. I loved going in the OR. I loved being one-on-one with patients in a patient exam room. I loved being in the clinic. I mean, I just loved that I could really function in all different settings. And it was always about helping women to live healthier lives. And then, okay, so so you, you do that, you finish residency. And then at some point you said, okay, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I want to go back and get an MBA. What was that timeline like? That was a few years out of residency training. So I, I was hired coming straight out of my residency by a large healthcare system as an employed physician and working as an employed physician. I really did not know anything about the business aspect of medicine. And that's not to say that employed physicians don't know that, but I'll just say my journey did not include any business background at all. And we had a meeting very, very, very early on in the evolution of this medical group with administration where there were questions about how do we make your practice more profitable? What are some of the changes that you would advise to take this from a revenue losing to a revenue producing? And I was completely flabbergasted by that. I was just very surprised. Like, where is this coming from? We're all very busy. We're very productive. We're providing great care. We're performing at a very high level. But by their perspective, we weren't doing that. And there just was a disconnect for me in terms of the conversations that we were having. Our goals were the same, but how we were discussing to achieve those was very different. And I, you know, again, just kind of going back to my desire to learn more and to inquire, it led me down a path of there's a whole language out there that I don't understand. And that's that business aspect. And that's when I decided to go back to school and pursue my MBA. So it was a, it was a dual thing that I did while working full-time really as a, as an OBGYN, I was also going to school online at night on the weekends, early in the morning to get my MBA. Very good. Well, that's, I mean, that alone's impressive. It's I, you know, I loved getting an MBA. It was super relevant for me in the education. I thought, well, this is easier than medical school was, but it was really, it just was super impactful. But you're right, working full-time and school full-time, it's a juggling act. Did you have kids at that point? We did. Yeah. We, at that point, had three children and we have a singleton and then we have a set of twins. 
And our twin boys are 22 months younger than our oldest son. So everybody was, I think everybody was under the age of four when I started. And, you know, I definitely had guilt complex (laughs) in going back to school at that time. But I, I do remember the nurses who were so supportive of me. I mean, and my husband pushed me a hundred percent to do, he was like, go for it, do it. I will support you in this. I know that you can, you can do this. We will take care of the family. And I remember just being up really late, exhausted, like literally typing at, on the deck of labor and delivery and just thinking like, why am I doing this? This is just crazy. This is absolutely bananas. It's one o'clock in the morning. I'm sitting up like writing papers or, you know, it's trying to enter my responses in the online chat. And the nurses just said, you know, Dr. Malcolm, this is the best time that you could do this. There will never be the ideal time. Your children are still very young. You'll be glad that you accomplished this and put this, you know, in your library much later on. So just keep going, keep pursuing. And in hindsight, I completely agree with them. Yeah, really excellent advice. Okay, so now when did you, now after your MBA, did you take a leadership role or did you start down the path of your coaching right away? No, I didn't start in coaching right away. I started in leadership and I think I kind of, you know, from my team was, was getting pushed to the front of interacting with administration a little bit more and, and being the voice for the group. And as I got exposed to more of physician leadership and wanting to really engage with others about how are we making decisions that directly impact those of us who are delivering the care. And that again, just created a whole nother spark for me. And I, I just became very passionate about being involved in those conversations, being involved in those decision in that decision-making and, you know, hoping to provide another perspective to the table that maybe wasn't always there. Sometimes the physicians aren't always involved in that decision-making. And I also just thought my perspective, my history, my cultural background, being a woman, being a woman of color, you know, being a black female physician, I thought I had something very unique to offer and to contribute that could help others in how they're delivering care. Do you see parallels between your role and skill set as a physician and your role and skill set as an entrepreneur? In other words, is it relatable and translatable? I do think there's a lot that my background as a physician has definitely helped me in my background as an entrepreneur. And by that same respect, I will say that there will be some, there are aspects of myself as a physician that I've had to unwire (laughs) and then rewire as, as a physician as well. I think that what we bring that's very transferable as physicians is I think we bring our commitment, the dedication, the perseverance, I think, and I absolutely would say, I think the level of knowledge that we bring, I think that that is very, very helpful to us in becoming entrepreneurs. We are very committed to whatever it is that we do. And we are also very committed to becoming sub subject matter experts in what it is that we do. So I think that that has been very transferable and has been very useful. What I think I had to do a little bit of unwiring and rewiring around is that unlike becoming a physician, becoming an entrepreneur is not a prescriptive path. It's not a very easy from point A to point B. Whereas I think with in becoming a doctor, like there's a path that's already been laid out for you. You know, if you take these classes, then you, and you perform at this level and you take this test, you take the MCAT, you will get into medical school. 
And then if you take these, you know, you're going to take these classes in medical school. If you perform at this level, then you can get into your subspecialty of choice. So I think, you know, it's a very defined path, whereas in entrepreneurship, it's not like that. There's so much that is uncertain and is ambiguous and that is unknown. And so we're constantly kind of testing things out. We're kind of testing the waters. We're kind of putting the proof of concept out there and having to adjust and adapt given the feedback that we receive. So let me ask you this. So people are, so I'm, I looked at your website and, you know, I think physicians are going to look at you and this always strikes me as being kind of funny, but they're going to look at you and say, well, I mean, you know, she had an easy, she's charismatic and brilliant and beautiful. And she's in a, you know, great relationship, you know, where, you know, where's the struggle in that? So let me go to the end. Where, where have you struggled? Because I think people are going to look at you and said, ah, you know, she makes it, she makes it look easy. Oh, <laughs> well, I guess first, thank you. I mean, I, I appreciate that. And I hope that my journey and my path can be an inspiration for others that this is possible. I would say that what I've been able to experience, whatever success I now have today is because of the assistance and the guidance and the mentorship from a whole village of people who really have embraced me, wrapped their arms around me, have shepherded me down this path versus another path and have also given me plenty of runway to make mistakes and to learn from those mistakes too. So this has not been easy by any means. There's been a lot of disappointment. There's been a lot of questioning. Is this really what I meant to do? Is this the right thing? And I have really learned to take all of those setbacks and all of those disappointments as opportunities for me to get better. And to really learn from them. I will say, you know, a few years ago, I didn't have that perspective. A few years ago, it was like, it's the end of the world. Somebody rejected me. Somebody said, no, like I put all of this work into this proposal and they've said, thank you, but no, thank you. And that was just, you know, they may as well have just said like, you're horrible, go away, never come back again. But with that, no, I've been able to now realize, you know what, my message or my delivery is not for you. And that's okay. And it doesn't define who I am. And it doesn't mean that I'm any less worthy. It just means it's not for you. And so I need to keep putting myself out there to find that person who really connects and resonates with my message. Yeah, it's very Marcus Aurelius. You know, it's the very, the obstacle is the way. It's you, you build upon them. And I actually got to the point where I like the obstacles because it means it's harder for everybody. And you don't want it to be easy because where's the fun in that journey? Okay, so let's go to, so you became a certified coach. Mm -hmm. What is that process like? Yeah, that process was going through, you know, rigorous coaching training. So as I was introduced into physician coaching through a leadership program that I was part of, otherwise my only exposure to coaching had been athletics and having a coach who would blow a whistle and put out a whole, you know, plan of action for you. And you, you would follow that, that plan, you know, it was their way or the highway. That's what I thought a coach was supposed to do. And I realized that coaching was really more about focusing on what my goals were and helping me to achieve those goals, helping me to gain a new level of self-awareness. 
and take steps in order to achieve those goals. So, you know, I, I did my research and found coaching programs that I thought really aligned with what I wanted to do as a coach. And so my focus really is on that leadership development. It's on professional development, not so much performance development. I think there's a real place for that, but that's about getting people who are underperforming to perform at the expected level. I'm really working with those individuals who have a desire to kind of move beyond an area of just kind of being stuck in their professional life to become the leader that they know that they can be and partnering with the organizations to help them do that, to create that kind of organizational change from within. So I love that concept. I, I've coached physicians, not as you do, but just more in the managerial role for 30 years. And, you know, I always think there's some that are completely uncoachable and there's some that definitely it's, they're like a flower. You put a little bit of water on them and embrace them and, and they just blossom. And I really like the idea that you're coaching people who want to become leaders because you're right. That's so different. You know, they're already had the fact that they even call you in some respects, they're already halfway there. You know, they have the initiative. And they're willing to back it up, paying you, I, I assume, to help you impart or allow you to impart your knowledge to them. What are some of the profiles and kind of, or are there any profiles of physicians who are reaching out to you? Is it young versus old, men versus women? What's the diversity? And there is diversity. So I would say for one, most of my clients are really through the organization itself. So I partner, you know, my company partners directly with organizations to provide coaching to their physicians within. And so they're looking to help their physicians take it to another level, elevate their leadership skills, their leadership development. And so my clients do range in age. I mean, of course, everybody's an adult and they're old enough to have finished their residency training and and have practiced for a little bit of time. But a lot of them may be what we consider traditional physician leaders in the sense they have a leadership title, but I don't focus on what their title is while they may have that title. It's really more about that mindset. Do you see yourself and do you view yourself as a leader? And how can I help you to be the leader that you know that you can be? How can I help you in really being that influencer in chief? that you need to be. And so a lot of times my clients may have just moved into a new position. They may be in a position where they now have new responsibilities. It's been an expansion of their role, or they have new projects or initiatives that they're trying to, that they're now trying to lead. Also, maybe they just kind of feel a little stuck. Like they've been trying something for a while and there's an area of struggle and they want some assistance so they can really thrive within the role that they that they have. Have you identified kind of common physician denominators that become barriers to physicians? And if you would answer, you know, when you respond to the question, give me the male versus female, if you can categorize them, like what are the barriers males struggle with and what are the barriers female leaders or, you know, people, female women who want to become leaders are struggling with and, and vice versa? Yeah. No, I think that's such a great question because there absolutely is a difference. I think for women, there's a belief that you don't deserve what you have. There's, you know, that imposter syndrome belief that I didn't really earn this. I, somebody gave this to me. I got this through my connections. They're going to, you know, they're going to find out that I really can't do what they've hired me to do. So that, I mean, it is not exclusive 
to women. A lot of the research has been done around imposter syndrome that looked at women. It does extend to men as well, but I just, I think that that's a little more of what I hear from my female physician clients is doubting themselves. Can I really do what has been asked of me and what's been expected of me as, as far as being a leader in terms of their technical competence and skill set? hands down, they've got it. They believe in themselves from that standpoint. Yeah. I've, I've noticed the exact same thing with women, younger women leaders who I've tried to mentor. It's like, are you kidding? You are so far ahead of where I was on your EQ and their IQ for that matter, but they're so far ahead of where I was at your age. Like you have, and I always give them this book to read called Confidence Code by uh, Claire Shipman and Kathy Kay, I believe. And they interviewed all these really rock star women all over the world. And they also, they literally said exactly what you just said, like they all had imposter syndrome. I mean, they even mentioned Hillary Clinton, you know, mm -hmm. had this imposter syndrome. You're like, well, how can she have it? And, and even, you know, I was like, if she has it, then, you know, everybody has to have it. Yes. Yes. I, I agree. I think that, you know, it's just really important for women to, step in and own their greatness and really see themselves as being the remarkable individuals that they are. So, you know, I, I wouldn't say I spent a lot of time doing confidence boosting, but we, you know, we do spend some time just doing some reframing, like just what's another way that you can reframe everything that you just said, that's a more positive and more uplifting and is motivating for you. As far as men, I think what I hear sometimes from men is reluctance to ask for help. And when I don't want them to feel that there's any judgment or there's any bias because they've asked. And I wouldn't say that what I provide is necessarily help. I'm your partner. I am there to partner with you in this. And then oftentimes I'm a mirror for them. I'm a place for you to just really put your think alouds. I call them your think alouds. So those are thoughts that you have that maybe you've just never said aloud to anybody. I'm providing you with that safe space to be able to share all of those think alouds and get a response. If that's what you're looking for, get some direction. If that's what you're looking for, you know, give you an opportunity to do some modification to it so that the impact that you're really trying to have actually does happen. And I, I think sometimes there's a reluctance from men that like, I don't, I don't need this. This is not something that there's a problem with such that, or a problem that I have that I really need this. Coaching isn't always about a problem that you have. It's not always, oftentimes it's just helping you work through something and see things through a different lens or a different perspective that you hadn't considered before. It's all been in your game. Right? You know, I, I mean, had the experience where I went through physician or leadership coaching, you know, year-long classes and such. And yeah, you know, I'm sure I had tons of problems, but at the end of the day, the goal was to, you know, so I'd elevate my game and everybody in there were these kind of rock star people. They all went in there with, okay, what can I do to become even better? I mean, world, you know, world-class athletes have coaches and they have coaches for a reason. Has have you noticed either an uptick or downtick in your business because of you know moral injury? you know, what people call physician burnout. I mean, do you find people saying, you know what, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm burned out and direct patient or I want to be a leader. And that's the reason they're trying to angle into leadership positions. 
No, I don't see that. And I think that's, I would also say that's because it's not my real niche. So I know that there are amazing coaches out there who do, and specifically physician coaches who really do have an emphasis on physician burnout and well-being. And I love partnering together with them in that. I haven't seen that there are physicians who are moving out of patient care into leadership necessarily because it's like, I just can't handle it or swing it, or I don't want to do this anymore. So I'm going to move into this other aspect of being a doctor. I really, what I see is those who have made a conscious decision to shift gears into full-time physician leadership, or they have kind of risen through the ranks you know, they performed very well early on in their career and started getting volunteered, voluntold for certain projects. And now that they've really gotten more comfortable in it and got a real taste for it, or maybe it's 20% or 50% of their overall FTE status, they're moving into roles that require more leadership responsibilities and expansion of that. All right. So I'm going to hit you up for some free coaching right now. Okay. So, and you're probably going, oh my God, what's he going to ask? So I've always been concerned. So I manage a large group of physicians and in their wonderful people, they're working on indigenous lands and it's a great, really cool cultural, cultural company. But I've always had this fear that it's hard to manage physicians unless A, you're a physician and B, you're still practicing because it's hard to say, well, you know, when I used to do this, here's what we did. And I look at like, well, yeah, that was, you know, back in pre-penicillin era. How is this helping me now, even if it was a couple of years ago? So, I mean, I love practicing medicine, but one of the fears I've always had is managing physicians and then telling them, look, when I've had this experience, here's how I've approached it. And then the follow-up being, well, yeah, that was then, this is now, you're not relatable anymore. How do you address that? Yeah. You know, I think that what might be a little different in the the service that I provide is that I am not interested in managing them. I'm really interested in what their goals are and helping them to lead more effectively in that. So when I'm working together with a client, it's not about what I would do. And I do hear that. So I think kind of going back to, a, I hear them ask me that, going back to a question that you asked earlier about what is a difference between some of the you know male clients and female clients, I might hear a little more often from my male clients, well, what would you do? That's going to be one of the last things that they're going to hear from me. I want to hear what they really want to do. Like, let's brainstorm all possibilities first. And then if you really are still interested in what I would do, then I'll share it. I'll share that with you, but it's not about what I think is the right thing for you. Or I, you know, I think you like, here, let me put together a whole treatment plan for you. And then you just execute and you follow it. I'm really trying to tap into like, what's most important to you? Where do you want to prioritize? Where do you think you need to put your energy and your attention and your focus right now so that we can start making some of those small incremental steps to get you closer to what your goals are. So it's really not about what would Terry do in this situation. I think what does help them is the connection that they know I understand where they're at. And so they don't have to do a lot of, a lot of, we don't have to spend time explaining 
Like this is, I, I'm already in tune with you and I can understand what the struggle is. Now let's figure out how we help you move through that struggle. Very good. And I love that approach. It's, you know, really answering a question with a question and saying, basically turning out, you said earlier, the mirror. Okay. So, so last question, where do you see yourself, you know, kind of post pandemic? Do you, and do you think the pandemic has, it's certainly in my mind pointed out that we need more physician leaders. Mm -hmm. um where do you see your business and yourself post-pandemic if there ever is a post-pandemic i hope it comes soon trust me like that is my my daily prayer that we we one day can actually look behind us and and say that was the pandemic remember when i think that for one like i think probably one of the things that's going to be most immediate is that i see master physician leaders having more of an in-person presence you know so much of it is just it's remote it's virtual right now And, but on a, I think a bigger, broader scale is what I really see is is that my company is now partnering even more, like even stronger partnerships, more partnerships with healthcare organizations to develop inclusive leaders, to develop inclusive physician leaders so that they can foster an environment where everyone can thrive and contribute fully to the delivery of culturally compassionate care. That's really where, you know, I want to take my company. That's the focus. And again, when I'm looking at the pandemic in the horizon, that's what I'd like to be able to say Master Physician Leaders is doing. Okay, I'm gonna, I lied, it wasn't the last question. Okay. One, one, because what you just said was really interesting to me and I totally identified with it. So about six years ago, I started working in indigenous lands and it blew me away of the disparities of healthcare on reservations versus in the inner city where I work. And it really opened my eyes up to this huge disparity of care between different ethnicities, different genders. And it really made, it's really given me a mission for like the last third of my career to try to address that, at least in indigenous lands. So I think your answer is spot on. We, we have to get to a place where everyone's treated with the utmost professionalism, compassion, empathy, no matter what. Stop. Absolutely. That's, that is, you know, that's what keeps me motivated and driving every single day in this mission. I mean, I think this, and this is something that I want us to be locked in lockstep doing. I mean, this is what I really consider is my passion. And I have been blessed and privileged to be given a platform to be able to do that. And coaching is my venue. It's just the venue by by which I can really bring that, bring that to life. But I really want to see everybody as an active participant and feeling included in this, feeling invited into this endeavor, invited into this journey. And, you know, this is a place where we all deserve to be valued and respected and expected to really thrive. I mean, I just don't see how we're going to overcome the challenges that we experience right now in our healthcare environment and really on a global level at all, if we're not working, you know, hand in hand to overcome these, these challenges. Yeah, it's very well said. Well, this has been, Terry, this has been a real pleasure. Where can people find out more about you? Sure. I, again, John, thank you so much for this opportunity to connect with you and connect with your audience. And I would love it if your audience found me at Master Physician Leaders is my website. So that's mastermdleaders.com. And I'm on LinkedIn under Teresa Malcolm. And my Instagram is 
at Master Physician Leaders. So I would love to connect with your audience and really encourage them in particular to go to the website because I do have a complimentary workbook on the six absolutes of successful leadership. So they're my thoughts. I'd love to hear any of your audience members that go through it and that they send me a note and share me their thoughts and just would love to hear what their journey of physician leadership looks like and where they're going. Well, Terry, thank you so much. All that will be in our show notes as well as with links to your to master physician, master MD leaders, and to your LinkedIn profile. So thank you very much. That's it for this episode of Entrepreneur X, everybody. I will see you next time. Thanks for listening to another great edition of Entrepreneur RX. To find out how to start a business and help secure your future, go to johnshufeltmd.com. Thanks for listening.